and then um, we'll get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you right now for tonight. I thank you for um, allowing us to gather in your name. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would just prepare the soil in our hearts, Lord, to receive the word, God, and that the seed of your word would go into the soil of our hearts, into good soil. I just want to ask you right now, God, that it would produce 30, 60, and 100 fold fruitfulness. We desperately need you, Lord. So we invite you um, to be with us, that we might be hearers of the word, that we would receive it well, and that we would carry out what you put on our hearts to do with it. In Jesus' name. So Dan's been preaching through 1 Thessalonians, and so I'm going to stay in that vein. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if I could have someone hand out the notes, they're right up here. Um, thanks, Jordan. I made notes for everyone, so you can take these home and look at these Bible verses yourself and yeah, just get them more in you. So I'm going to do a little review of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and maybe just maybe a better way to say it rather than review. It is a review, but it's also going to be kind of a different vantage point. So just as Dan has one vantage point on 1 Thessalonians 4, I have a different vantage point that complements, not contradicts, but just complements what he's already said. And I love this series that he's been doing in Thessalonians. And, um, you know, the verses that are coming up have to do with the rapture, and those are going to be exciting verses to come. So I'm leaving those for Dan to unpack those. I don't know, maybe I will unpack them as well. But for now, I'm going to stay in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So um, just so there's um, notes up here on the front if you want to grab some. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Okay, so what I wanted to point out, paragraph A, what is Paul referring to when he says, 
that you should abound more and more. I just find that phrase to be interesting because it's also in Paul's other letters. <laughs> so cross-reference to uh, the same language in another of Paul's letters is Philippians 1, 9 through 12. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what should abound more and more? Right. Love of God in us. Right? That's what's supposed to abound more and more. Abounding in love of God is the remedy for turning away from sin and living a holy life. Abounding in love is the language of having an overflowing heart of love toward God. When we have the overflowing heart of love, then sin falls off of us and doesn't have its grip on us. And so that is where we're going with this. You know, if you have an addiction, for instance, how are you going to get free from that addiction? Because we're all prone toward addiction. <laughs> to be honest, our sin nature, we're all prone to be addicted to something, you know? We're all addicted to our phones, probably, in this room. <laughs> I mean, I know I probably am. So it could be whatever level of addiction, right? But we're just kind of prone that way. What? How are we going to get free? Jesus, for sure. Abounding in love more and more. Like when we get more full of him, right? Those things become less interesting. <laughs> and they begin to fall off of us. So, how do we abound in love of God? Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 is a prayer for the church that we be rooted and grounded in his love, that we be able to comprehend what is the width, what is the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of God, Christ which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with the very fullness of God. So here it is again, these are all Paul's letters. You know, what does he say? We need to know the love of God deeply, deeply. How can we know the height, the depth, the width, and the length of his love? And abound in love such that we get filled with this fullness. Okay? I love this verse because when it speaks of the height, the depth, the width, and the length, what is that? It's the cross. The height, the depth, the width, and the length. It's the cross of Christ. That is how God manifested his love to us. That's how he displayed it for all eternity, forever and ever and ever, for a billion years times a billion years. We will not get over what he did for us on the cross. Like that is how he decided to display how much he loved us and to what extent he would go for us. He didn't just die, he suffered. Like, he wanted to show how far his love would go. And um, so this is how he, he displayed it. When we meditate on that, when we meditate on the passion of Christ, right, his crucifixion, the cross, we begin to get a glimpse of his great love. 
Like that is why we want to consider that, think about that, meditate on that. We, this is how we're going to get that revelation of how much he loves me. You look at the cross. Uh, we put ourselves at the foot of the cross in meditation. We begin to view in our inner man, right? His death on the cross until we can see it in our inner man. So this takes some practice in a way, you know? Put yourself in the Bible. As you are pray reading this, right? You want to put yourself there. So when you're reading about John being at the foot of the cross or Mary or the others, put yourself there and pray, read, and consider and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me. Because when we begin to get a divine meditation, a divine download on what happened to him, okay, that imprints us. Can you imagine the Lord suffering on the cross like if you were an eyewitness to that, what that would do to you? And then take it a step further. Imagine, like, understanding that he was paying for your sin. And you're seeing him tortured. What does that do? It's so imprinting on us. Like, you don't get over that. You can't get over that. Like, if that, like if that imprints us, we don't ever want to sin again. <laughs> That's how powerful it is. And we, we need to get that. Because in many ways, it's so far removed from us. Being 2,000 years ago, right? We don't think about it the way we ought to or the way we need to. But we need what happened to him on the cross. We need to see it. And we need it to imprint us because that's going to free us from sin. And it's going to give us also highest level of love that we can possibly get is by having that view. So it's super important. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for it. It comes supernatural. It's not easy. I've heard people say to me, Amy, I tried meditating on the cross. I can't do it. I, I don't... I don't know how to do it. I, I don't see it. <laughs> it. It's hard, you know. I get that. I totally get that. Um, I'll just say this. One way to meditate on the cross, probably the most effective way, is to take what you are suffering now. Take what is paining you now, whatever that is. If you are suffering rejection, for instance, take that. And look at the cross, look at Christ on the cross and say, Lord, you were rejected. So you're putting what's paining you, what suffering you're going through at some level, you're joining it to the cross. By, by getting a glimpse, it's like the Lord allows that suffering in our lives, right? for many reasons. One reason is that so we can identify a small amount with what he went through on the cross. And by identifying, we join ourselves. We get fused to him in that place because then we understand a tiny drop of what he went through. So for instance, say you're suffering being misunderstood. 
by your family. My family doesn't understand me. You can take that to the place of prayer, go to the cross, and recognize Jesus. You can pull Bible verses out of this and go, wow, Jesus was completely misunderstood, even by his own family. He understands what I'm going through. Right? So that's one way we meditate on the cross is by taking our own suffering, our own pain, whatever we're going through, and realizing Jesus suffered it also for us. And he always went further than us in suffering. Like we're not going to outdo his suffering. Like he went further. And so knowing that, it's like whatever we're going through, we can take that to the cross, our own pain, and join it to his. And even say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to know a little bit about what you went through. And the Lord is so pleased with that prayer. He fuses, like there's nothing like pain to fuse our soul to his or to anyone else for that matter. When you go through something with someone, you're bonded to them. And you know you can see that in, in war vets, right? They get together because only that person who had their back in the war, right, understands what they all went through. There's a bond there, right? Lasts forever. Why do they get together? Because nobody else gets it. <laughs> nobody else understands what they went through, right? And so this is how it is. It's like pain has a way, like going through something together has a way of fusing our souls to that other person that we're going through that with. And so Christ allows us to suffer in some ways, to go through some things so that we will be bonded to him. And this is how we can meditate on the cross. Um, we can use our own suffering to help us get there. Um, when we love God um, with all of our hearts, right, then we're also going to love others um, because first commandment being in first place, the second commandment flows out. Like that is just like a normal, um, a normal result. It doesn't work that well the other way. We need love of God first. Then we will love our brother well. Um, let's go to page two and look at um, Roman numeral two, coming short and no gift, lacking nothing. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. So let's look at the rest of these verses here. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. Okay, again, the Apostle Paul prays that the church increase more and more. There's that language again. What are we to increase more and more in? Love. 
that same language. Um, then he goes into leading a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands. Okay, how, how is that related? I find it's really interesting that that is in there and how is it related to abounding in love more and more? Um, I just wanna point out paragraph B, practicing silence while working with your hands is a way to work while you're tending to your inner man in the place of prayer. Okay, when you mind your own business in silence and work, you can meditate on Jesus and tend to the garden of your heart. You can learn to work while being in communion with God. So, interestingly, I mean, there are some, some jobs where you are interacting with people so much in a verbal way that you can't do that, you know? It's, it's like you're, you have to interact verbally. But if you have a job where you don't have to, like I totally remember Lou Engel, um, he was speaking one time, I heard him say this, he used to have a job mowing lawns. You know, this is probably in his youth, I'm assuming, he was a youth pastor or whatever. He goes, I love the job, mowing lawns. <laughs> Why? Because he could literally pray eight hours a day. Nothing else disturbed him, you know? This mowing lawns and praying, and he loved that job. And so that is an example of how uh, practicing silence and working with your hands, what Paul is saying there, is awesome. And in a way, you can, you can carry out a life of communion and prayer by doing this. Um, also think of like uh, Brother Lawrence, Maybe many of you have read his book, Practicing the Presence of God. He was a monk. Like, he used to wash the dishes. He had that job. He was a dishwasher. And he's like, I don't know how many hours a day he would be washing dishes, but it's another example. He was practicing the presence of God while he was washing dishes, and he was communing with the Lord. And so... I put that out there, I think that the Apostle Paul was also, also exhorting us, and I think his job may have been this way. He was a tent maker. There's probably a, a, not any reason why he couldn't just work with his hands, making tents, being quiet, tending to communing with God and his inner man, and so he was exhorting others, lead a quiet life, work with your hands. You know, and abound in love more and more. Like, get in this place where you can pray. I know no, not every job lends itself to that, right? But um, if your job does lend itself to that, that's what you can cultivate more and more. Um, paragraph D. The result of this lifestyle is that we may lack nothing. Okay, so I just find these phrases in this word, that you may lack nothing. I just find that to be very interesting phrase. So again, we, we can look up cross-references, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, um, verses 4 through 8, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you are enriched in everything by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. 
I think that's very similar too, so that you may lack nothing. Um, eagerly awaiting for the revealing or the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the day of his appearing. Let's look up another one, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 13. We rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase, and here it is again, and abound in love to one another and to all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's speaking of the coming of the Lord, being blameless in that day, abounding in love, and again, another verse, perfect what is lacking. Come short in no gift. Perfect what is lacking. Let's go to page three. What does he mean by lacking nothing and that they come short in no gift and perfect what is lacking in your faith? What gifts is the apostle referring to when he says come short in no gift? Okay, so um, I want to go, I want to hit a couple different vantage points on these phrases, lacking nothing, perfecting what is lacking, coming short and no gift. Okay, one of them is what you've heard me say probably many times in the prayer room, Revelation 5, 6, right? I, I pray it when I pray in here almost every day whenever I'm waiting prayer, right? I looked and behold in the midst of the throne, right? You see this heavenly scene, a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, right? Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, so we have that. We have Isaiah 11, which is the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit laid out. Okay, Isaiah 11 are these seven gifts. The spirit of the Lord is one. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. So think of a menorah. Right? It's like a seven branch menorah. Also in Zechariah 4, which is coming up in paragraph H. Zechariah 4, he's talking, he actually talks about this branch. This vision Zechariah had is like a Jewish menorah. <laughs> okay, so center branch, spirit of the Lord. That's the main thing. Spirit of the Lord. The fullness, right? And then there's each one has like a coupling. Spirit of wisdom and revelation is one. Counsel and might. Knowledge of God. Fear, fear of the Lord. Okay, that is the menorah. Okay, spirit of the Lord, center branch. Vertical. Um, first commandment in first place. You know, it's the thing that is perfectly plumb lined. Okay, so... These seven spirits of God, okay, he doesn't want us to lack any of them. Ephesians 3 said he wants us to be filled with the very fullness of God. How can we be filled with the fullness of God? We have to receive those gifts of the Holy Spirit that lead to our transformation, those sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do we receive those? We have to be before him. <laughs> looking at him, gazing upon him, being in agreement, being a heart loyal to him. Second um, 
Chronicles 16.9, right? It talks about this. The eyes of the Lord, which are moving to and fro throughout the whole earth, right? That he might strongly support. How's he going to strongly support someone? He's going to give them himself. Divine might in our inner man. like th That he might strongly support those whose hearts are in agreement with him, loyal to him, um, given over to him. He's going to give us his sevenfold Holy Spirit fullness. That's how we get the fullness of Christ. Is we got to be before him. We can't attain it. It's not something we do like if we work hard enough, we're going to get it. No, we can position ourselves, ask for it, but know that he's actually searching for who's looking at me, who's in agreement with me, who can I strongly support. That's who I'm sending out my sevenfold gifting, fullness of Holy Spirit into. Okay, so that's what we want, no lack of. We want to be filled with those, the sevenfold fullness of Holy Spirit. Okay, so I really believe those are the gifts. We want to come short in no gift. These are the gifts that I believe he's particularly talking about because these eyes are looking for those ones and then they're sending out. Seven spirits of God are being sent out into these ones to infuse us, okay? It's heavenly. We get something from heaven. We can't get fullness of God apart from that. We can't attain it. We can't work for it. We can't, um, you know, if we fast enough, twist God's arm, he'll give it to us. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's literally like something heavenly that he infuses into us. And the way we position ourselves for that is by getting into agreement, being a heart given over to him, a heart loyal to him, and to really be, what, to really help on our heart what's on his heart. And what's on his heart, Zechariah 4, is the same context, is the context of this. It's building house of prayer. That's the context that he's looking and searching to and fro throughout the whole earth. Who is in agreement with what I'm doing in the earth? Who's given over to that? I'm infusing them. <laughs> That's the context. Because the exiles had come back from Babylon, he told them, build the house of prayer. That's what he told them. So it's in that context that he doesn't despise small things, right? And what we're doing is a microcosm, a little part of building house of prayer globally, right? Because it's not just the temple, like as in Old Testament, the temple is called the house of prayer. But New Testament, we are the temple, for one thing. We're walking houses of prayer. But there's also something he's doing corporately. There's also something he's doing corporately in raising up Tabernacle of David, right? What we do is in the spirit of the Tabernacle of David here, right? What did David do? He went night and day with prayer and worship for 33 years while he was king. He wanted that to be the most central, important part of his kingdom which is why David had, was a man after God's own heart, because he understood the, probably the, one of the deepest, if not the most deepest thing in God's heart 
which was to dwell with man in the place of worship and prayer. Like, he wants to dwell with us. David understood that at a heart level that nobody else did. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart. That's why he said, we must bring up the ark of God, which was where the presence, the manifest presence of God was resting on the ark. He said, we must bring this up, and this must be in the center place of the kingdom. So God will be at the center. And instead of having a veil around the ark like Moses' tabernacle, right? Moses' tabernacle had a veil around the ark the whole time. Only one priest could enter in through that veil. Once a year, the high priest could enter in with certain sacrifices prescribed by the law, right? And if you screwed up, you would die. Jason went into this similar similar stories at Tuesday night, which I highly recommend listening to that message because people died when they treated the glory of God in a way that was improper. And there's such holiness on it. Um, we don't understand that. We don't really understand the holiness of God. But David had a revelation of what was on God's heart that he actually wants to dwell with man. How's it going to work if he's so holy and we're not? And what David did, instead of having the veil like Moses, he made singers and musicians be the veil. And their incense went up. So when the high priest would go in there, he'd be shaking the incense, right? Because the cloud made by the incense would veil the glory of God to such an extent that there was some protection somehow in that. What David did was singers and musicians sent up the incense of worship and prayer, which is similar to that cloud of incense. It's called the incense, and the prayers of the saints is called incense. And so in order for the Lord to dwell with man, right, there needs to be the incense of night and day worship and prayer. That is the incense that goes up, that in a sense protects, right, the glory of God. We can dwell together in this place. Does that make sense? Um, okay, so... Um, I want to also bring out something else that is not on your notes, but I think is also an important factor in this. If you go to Colossians 1.24, this is another Pauline letter. What does he say? Because we're talking about, we're talking about that you may lack no thing, right? Um, we're talking about, um, Coming short and no gift, right? So Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice now in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay, so that's a really interesting verse, right? At first read, when we're reading that verse, we go, 
well, what could be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? What, what could be, is there anything lacking? Like, did, Christ, did the cross of Christ not take care of all of it, all of our sin? No, that's not what he's saying. Okay, the cross of Christ takes care of our sin, fully takes care of it, pays for it. Okay, there's nothing lacking in the cross of Christ and what he paid for his sacrifice. I, that's not what Paul is saying in this verse. But what is he saying? Okay, he's saying, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking. Okay, what is lacking is our suffering. That's what's lacking. And Paul, in his own body, it says, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay, Paul took many beatings, much suffering, even in an intercessory way for the body of Christ. Because what is lacking in the cross of Christ is not anything lacking in the sacrifice. It's that our suffering, our participation is what is lacking. <laughs> That's what's lacking. Our participation in it. Um, Paul stood in the gap. For the body of Christ by suffering much. He says, he even says that for the sake of his body. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking. What is lacking? The body suffering also, the afflictions of Christ. He's like, I'm filling up in that in my own body. I'm taking an abundance of beatings for the sake of the body of Christ. Um if you look at like Hebrews 5, 8, right? Speaking of, of Christ, he learned obedience by that which he suffered. And then having been perfected, it says. So again, it's like there is something about suffering for Christ's sake that perfects our faith, that is causes it to come into maturity. And even Christ set the example by learning obedience by that which he suffered. And then it says, and having been perfected. It says that right after that in Hebrews 5.8. So Christ sets the example, but going through suffering and giving our sufferings on the cross, like we join our sufferings to Christ's sufferings on the cross, that brings us into maturity or what the scripture says perfects our faith doesn't mean we become perfect it means it brings us into maturity so when we are um, suffering and we all we all suffer at some level and so god does give us opportunity to lack no thing to um, not only receive all of his gifts by Adoring him, looking at him, being in the prayer room, going, Lord, I want what you're pouring out, your sevenfold Holy Spirit. But there's another way to mature us and increase us in um, perfect our faith in the sense of bringing us to full maturity. And that is our participation in the cross. That is what brings us into a holy maturity in the Lord. And so because we all have opportunity, because we all suffer at some level, this is where we need to um, not waste anything that the Lord brings our way. 
not waste any suffering that we may go through, right? Because he's giving us opportunity to be joined with him, to learn obedience through that which we suffer, like Christ did, and to bring us into maturity and perfect our faith in him. So we don't want to waste anything that he allows us to go through. We don't want to waste it because it's opportunity for us to join our pain to Christ's pain and to um, mature in that place. Is that guys all tracking with me on that point? Okay. So um, how do we, again, lack no gift? How do we... um, uh, what was the other? Come short in no gift and lack no thing, perfect what is lacking. These are curious phrases. I really believe it's the, it's twofold at least. There might be more, but one is the receiving of the sevenfold Holy Spirit through adoration, through prayer, through, through being about his work of building night and day prayer, that he would infuse us with divine might on our inner man, strength, like receiving what he's sending out. That's one way. The other way is joining our sufferings to his suffering on the cross. And we can, we do that in prayer as well. We take what is paining us and we join it to his suffering, knowing that he suffered more. He also went through this. He knows what we're going through. And we say, thank you, Lord for what I'm going through because you're letting me taste a small drop of what you went through. And so you're inviting me into depth of union with him. Like the payoff is great. The payoff is worth it. Whatever we suffer, the payoff is worth it when we join our sufferings to him and we get union with him. (laughs) It's really, really worth it. Which is why he does allow us to go through things. Okay? I mean, think about it. If, he, if we just get saved, he could have just like zapped us to heaven if he wanted to. But he leaves us here. In this broken, fallen world. Right? He leaves us here. He leaves us even, and we can be hurt by others. Right? We can be sinned against. We can have all kinds of things happen to us. And the Lord allows that. Why? Because he's He's giving us an opportunity to join our sufferings with his suffering and thereby cause this union that that really can't be had any other way. Like, we will not be fused with Christ unless we have some knowledge of his suffering, what that really costs. And we'll never know the extent of it. We will not know the extent. Only he suffered as much as he suffered. None of us will suffer to the extent that he suffered. Nobody. He went further than everybody. But the fact that he gives us something with which we can suffer, he uses that to join us into union. So there is a tremendous payoff with suffering, and he would not want to deprive us of that. He doesn't want to just zap us to heaven. He doesn't want to deprive us. Like, we get to suffer for Christ. Um, so I've often thought about, and it's just side note, i gotta, I got to wrap this up and land this, but here, I'll give you something to think about. <laughs> 
the millennial reign of Christ, right? When Jesus is ruling and reigning for a thousand years, right? And he, he literally takes out evil. Like he takes out the evil rulers and he replaces evil rulers with meek and humble people who inherit the earth <laughs> that he chooses and puts them in place over every nation in the world. Like the Bible says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. How's he going to do that? He's going to be such a pure and holy judge that he can see right into the thoughts and intents of the heart and judge rightly. Like can you imagine what it will be like in the millennial reign of Christ when we are ruling and reigning with him? We'll have assignments even if we're living in the new Jerusalem. He'll give us assignments maybe in Livermore. You don't know, you know, where he's going to give you an assignment in your glorified body to work with people who are in their natural body. Like, there's still going to be those people on the earth, but Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And so it won't be the same. It won't, there won't be as much sin going on. Satan is bound. Those demons are bound. We still have our, there will still be the flesh of man. <laughs> so man will still have free will. And, um, but if you think about it, there won't be the persecution like what we see in the age that we're living in. The age, I call it the age of martyrs. There's more martyrs now than there ever has been in history. There's more people being martyred right now in our day than ever. Dramatic numbers. And so we're living in the age of martyrs. Like People are able to give their life as in martyrdom for Christ in our day. Even though we don't see it in America as much, right? It's happening in other countries. And um, what will it be like for those believers, right, who are still in their natural body, right, in the millennium, not suffering persecution, not no martyrs, I mean, I think there's going to be, they're going to look back at our age and go, these people were more blessed than us because they had an opportunity to give their lives for Christ. Even though, yes, in their own hearts, they will also have to choose to deny themselves and give, give of themselves. But it won't be the same. I don't think we're going to see people martyred in the millennial reign of Christ, like our age. So we're actually living in a really super blessed time. Super blessed. Like once the apostles understood what was going on and they were going to follow Christ to the cross, their own crosses, that they were going to be martyred, once they got that in their spirit and they realized this is what's happening, we're not living for the kingdom of God coming and taking over Rome right now. We're living for another age. We're actually going to lay down our lives. We're going to follow Christ to the death, right? They, they got it, you know? After a while, they really understood that. And then they became so dead to everything else, you know, even their own lives unto the death, right? And then... They could suffer, be beaten, and walk away going, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. 
you know, after they got beaten, mistreated by the Pharisees, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy. They got picked, in other words. They were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Like, they rejoiced. And they got it so much that when they did go to the death, which they all did, right, except for John, they tried to kill him, though. He just couldn't die because God protected him. So there's really no account of how he died. People think he died of old age. But there's no account, right? They tried to boil him in hot oil to murder him, and he didn't die. Amazing. But Peter, approaching his cross, said, turn me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Lord died. I'm not worthy of that. So they understood something. They understood like what a privilege it is to suffer for his name's sake. And so we have to get around this a little bit. Even though we don't suffer much, right? In America, we don't suffer like that. Maybe we will someday. Chances are persecution is coming. It is on the way. But we have to look at it like the Lord is giving us opportunity to join with him in union with him at the highest level of intimacy and love. That we would know him, that we would we would be counted worthy. We would be picked. We'd be like, pick me, God. Like this is the highest privilege. And I think saints in the age to come and the millennial will go. These guys were the the more blessed, even though we get to live under the millennial reign of Christ or the perfect leader on the throne, they were more blessed because they got to give their lives. I don't know. I just throw that out there as a, as a, as a maybe something to consider. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. Paragraph um, 3, Roman numeral 3, being blameless in the day of his appearing. So all of these scriptures that I read before, actually, they kind of all land on this. Um, you need abounding in love more and more. Why? So that he can establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, it's all coming down to this. Um, we want to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to perfect what is lacking in our faith, that is, join our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ. And we want this, we want his love to be so rooted and grounded in us, right, that we would be blameless in holiness. Why? For the day of his appearing. To get ready for that day when he busts through the clouds. Like that is what we're going for. To be blameless in holiness on the day of his appearing. And he says that in so many verses. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8 on page 4. All of this again that you come short of no gift, you are eagerly awaiting for the revelation, which means the revealing of Christ to the earth, that you would be confirmed to the end, you'd be faithful to the end, you would be blameless in the day of our Lord's appearing. And that's what we're going for through all of this. Um, receiving of his fullness, joining our sufferings with him so that one day we will be ready when he busts through. We'll be blameless, holy, waiting, eagerly waiting for that day that he appears. Um, and then lastly, the day of the Lord's return should not catch us off, off guard. Okay? You know the scriptures that say he's going to come like a thief in the night. 
Okay. It should not be that way for us. We should be ready, right? It's only going to come like a thief if you are not ready. If you are not eagerly awaiting and ready and blameless on that day, right? We're going to be ready, Lord willing, God help us to be ready, right? But if he comes to us like a thief, that's not good. For many people who are not ready, it will be like that. But it does not... It is not supposed to be that way if you know him. And and so he equips us, right? He gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He equips us by his sevenfold Holy Spirit. He fills us with his fullness. He wants us to enter into the highest union with him. And this is how we're going to be ready, blameless, waiting for him. So um, let's go ahead and just close in prayer. And then we're going to go into some worship and intercession, praying around these Bible verses.